If you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, I want to read for us the first 17 verses of Revelation chapter 2. The verses that will be on the screen for us are verses 12 through 17 where we will spend our time this morning, but I want us to remember the letters to the churches that we have already looked at as we continue our study on the end and as we walk through John's letter called the Revelation. Revelation chapter 2 verse 1 and following reads, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name. Did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and might practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, I bow before you this morning. and Lord, we pause. We, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your activity of the monumental and also the minute in your church. God, might you allow us to see that? Might might you allow that to come to the forefront of our mind this morning? That, yes, you are in charge of everything, but at the same time, you desire the smallest of details in the church and in our lives to be in right step. Father, it's easy for me, it's probably easy for us to say the, quote, right things, yet oftentimes our actions don't go with our saying. Father, River Bend is your church. It is um, only here because you have allowed her to be here. It is here to bring glory to your name. We're your body, your sons, your daughters, your your church. God, at this time, I pray that you would speak to your church as clear as you spoke to the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, the church at Pergamum. Might you speak to River Bend. And Father, might you speak to me. Might you speak to us. Father, there is praise in this letter and there is also warning. Would you allow us to hear both of them? Would you allow us to see what that looks like at River Bend? Would you allow us to see what that looks like in our hearts and in our lives? And would we come back to you today? We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. The church at Pergamum was a church that Jesus loved. He wrote to that church and he stated to them, uh, here's some things that I like about you and here's some things that I need to warn you about. There are some actions and some activities in your life, Pergamum, that uh, you need to discard. There are some things that you need to keep on keeping on with. And so this morning, I want us to look at these two points. Uh, the first is this, there are accommodations that are made to the church by the Lord. If you look there in verse number 12 and verse number 13, he states this, And to the angel of the church at Pergamum write, The words of him who has, a sharp, who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name. And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. He comes right out of the blocks. And he says, uh, number one, you remember as we were looking at, and as we have been looking at, these 
letters, I told you the emphasis of each letter is Christ. We look back in chapter 1 and we saw that the emphasis of the whole book is Christ. If you read Revelation chapter 1, you will see John lay out and you will see Christ lay out. Here is the foundation of the book. Here is the main character of the book. I am him. Do not take your eyes. Do not take your focus. Do not take your attention off of me. And just to reiterate that, to each and every one of the churches, he starts off every single one of the letters to the churches with one of those attributes of who he is. And to the church at Pergamum, he says, hey, remember, I'm the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. You remember that, Pergamum. And so he says that, and as he says that, then he states, I know where you dwell. I, I, I know exactly where you are. I'm walking there in the midst with you. I understand the city. I understand all the surroundings there. And here is my praise, or here is my commendation. Here is my support for what you have been about and what you are doing. Number one, I know that it's tough exactly right where you are. I I know that the culture that you find yourself in, I know the proconsul who is over your town, I know the Caesar who is over the whole of the Roman Empire is driving you away, is bringing about persecution with words, with deeds, even as we'll see in just a second, with killing of witnesses of mine. Yet you, church, have remained strong. Look at this commendation in verse number 13. I know where you dwell. It's where Satan's throne is. How would you like for Hernando to be known as the place where Satan's throne is? Would you like to live in Hernando if that's what the title was? If that's what it was known for? Pergamum at this time was probably 120,000 people. It was a bustling town. There was an Acropolis that was great. And the whole region came to that place to do business. It it was not the, the largest of towns. It was not the largest of cities in the area. There's Ephesus not too far away. But it was a bustling business sector. And people came for that reason. But they also came because not too... Uh, distant in the past, the turn of B.C. to A.D., um, a little right before that, there was a temple that was built. And that temple had uh, the purpose of worshiping Zeus. You all know Zeus. We make movies about him today and we write books about him today. They bowed and worshiped him. Not too long after the temple of Zeus and the altar of Zeus where they would practice sacrifice day in and day out, morning to night, that they would take animals and they would offer them up to Zeus. There was also another temple built and it was built to a man by the name of Augustus Caesar. And in Pergamum. Day in and day out, they would bow down and worship the emperor. Hence, as we will see in just a moment, 
this man by the name of Antipas. We don't know very much about Antipas, but we do know that he was a faithful witness and him being a faithful witness, it cost him his life where Satan dwells. Jesus writes to them and he says, here's my praise or here's my commendation for you that you did not deny my faith. You did not fall back. Even in this place where Satan dwells. And because of that, there is praise to be given to you. This church dwelt exactly where Satan ruled. One commentator put it, put it this way. There's one of four or five reasons why this was called the seat or the throne of Satan. It was an allusion to Pergamum as the center of pagan worship in general. There was an Acropolis itself, the business sector itself, which looked like a great throne that viewed by a traveler approaching even from that town of Smyrna as they looked up and went toward Pergamum. A reference to the throne-like altar of Zeus Soter, which is uh, translated saviors, that Zeus was the savior. A reference to the Esculapian occult or the emperor worship. And finally, just its center of being the emperor's worship. We don't know 2,000 years out why it was known as the place where Satan's throne was. But those are some compelling arguments. Is it one of them or is it all of them? I would say, yes, it was a city that was full of wickedness. A city that day in and day out, people would turn their face toward false deities. Whether they were going to the market, whether they were going to their neighbor, wherever they were turning, whatever they were doing, they turned their face to one false deity or another. And this church, Pergamus, Pergamum is praised because they stood tall in the midst of this persecution. We talked last week how blessed we are. We are blessed. We have some issues as a nation. Some of us think that we have major issues in this area, not going to talk about those, and some of us, about 50% of us think that, and about 50% of this nation thinks that we have major issues in a, another area, not going to talk about that, not going to talk about Republicans, Democrats, Independents, but we as a whole nation, we're, we're a blessed nation. I want you to think for just a second. What would your actions be? Sir, ma'am, what, what would your actions be? If you walked out of your house tomorrow, you got in your car and you had to drive by the square to get to work, and as you were driving by the square, there was a group of people, and that, and that group of people included a person who was handcuffed and being escorted out into the middle of the square, and you saw something there, and it, it was... As you saw that, what it was is there was some gallows there. And you looked and you saw that person. You had to stop at the red light. You're a law-abiding citizen. You had to stop at the red light. And you look and that person's sitting right here today. He's a brother in Christ. And they're taking him to the gallows. 
And before the light turns green, you see him put the noose around his neck and you see him drop. Some of us would peel out and try to get out of Hernando as fast as we could. Some of us would be calling on the cell phone. Why did he do that? I just saw him yesterday. And as word reaches out, maybe it was because of his stance in Christ. That's the reason they put him on the gallows. What would your next action be? Would your next action be that of keeping the mouth closed? Or would you find yourself like the church at Pergamum, who even in the midst of persecution, as it escalated even to the point of one of their members, Antipas, being killed, would you find yourself going about doing the same thing that you did the day before in obedience to the Father? That's where they were. The the church, Jesus praises them. And, you know, if it was a letter written from us to others, maybe we would overstate their response. Have you ever gotten one of those letters where they overstated what you did and you just know it's flattery and there's nothing that you did and you really, they just went over and beyond and they just really don't have a clear scope of who you are and what you did. And it's just flattery, and they're just trying to melt the butter. Trust me, Jesus didn't do that with any of these letters. He did not overstate what was happening in Ephesus. He didn't overstate what we're going to see in a couple of weeks with Philadelphia or Thyatira. He didn't overstate any of the praises, nor did he overstate any of the warnings. Jesus spoke it as it was to be spoken. He didn't underestimate it. He didn't overestimate it. He was praising them. You and I must understand that the church at Pergamos must have needed to and were praised for what they did, what they did, what was right. And so Jesus wrote to the folks at Pergamos. I'm going back and forth with Pergamos and Pergamum. Here's why. Because when I was uh, young and I memorized scripture a lot more than I did do today, that's a failure of mine, but the translation that I used, and I remember as I read over and over and over again, translated Pergamos. And now the ESV that I, write, that I read um, translates it Pergamum. Maybe that's where you are. You're sitting in the pew, you're sitting in the seat, and you're saying, man, I've got Pergamos. Is he talking about a different? No, it's the same one. Same church, same area, just a different pronunciation of it. No matter Pergamos, Pergamum, they were rewarded, they were praised for this action. This action is looked at in two ways. It's looked at in the positive. They didn't, uh, he says, you were my faithful witness, Antipas was. You didn't deny my faith, even in those days where uh, you found yourself where Satan dwells. Um, You were there. You held fast to my name positively. You didn't deny my faith negatively. You didn't deny it. You didn't step back. You didn't uh, retreat from it. You were there and you must be praised. You say, Brian, how does that apply to me today? Here's how it applies. 
you and I need to understand this. Jesus looked at the church at Pergamum. And he said, here's what I'm going to praise you about because you're worthy of that praise. Here's what I'm going to bring commendation to you about because you're worthy of that. And he looks at you just as intently. And he looks at me just in those same minute details. And he will praise you. He will reward you. He will reward me. He will praise me. He will bring commendation to me and you alike just as he did to Pergamum. And you and I need to understand that this one, this Jesus, has the authority. This one, this Jesus, has the the purpose of bringing the best out in his church. Individually. Corporately. And we need to understand that. So he prays them, but then he says this to them. I do have a couple of concerns. Verse 14. But I do have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and they might practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, Repent. Let's look at the warnings first. These concerns are given about a few with consequences for the all. Here's a concern. Here's a warning that Jesus has. Hey, church at Pergamum, you have some in there that uh, they... They hold to the teachings of Balaam, and uh, he gives a little description of what the teaching of Balaam was and what he did. I don't know if it was the last time you read about Balaam and about uh, Balak. If you want to get caught up on Balaam and Balak, you can go back to Numbers chapter 22, down through uh, chapter 22, 23, 24, and 25. And then you can skip over just a couple of chapters to uh, Numbers chapter 31, and you can see Moses' response to that whole episode. But you need to understand this for today. There are two main sins that are brought to the forefront out in the wilderness. Okay? Out in the wilderness, there are two main sins that are just spent time on. One is Aaron and the golden calf. We we know what happened. Moses was up there on the mountaintop for um, 40 plus days and Uh, They thought he was dead. They were ready to worship something, so they told Aaron, Hey, Aaron, make for us a god. And he said, All right, bring me all your gold from your earrings and your rings that you got from the Egyptians, and I will do that. And when Moses caught him, he said, Man, I just threw it in there, and out popped this calf. That's not what happened. He made it. He sculpted it. Sin number one. Second sin is that of... Balaam. Balaam is a prophet of God. God tells him, don't have anything to do with Balak, king of uh, Moab. And he is just enticed. He's enticed because uh, Balak of Moab comes to him and says, I'll give you all this stuff. If you'll just curse the Israelites, you tell me how to get at the Israelites and you curse them, I promise you, I will give you all these things. And God's like, Balaam, you better not. You better not. 
It gets to the point that he has to talk to his donkey to stop him. You probably know the story about Balaam's donkey. But ultimately, Balak, excuse me, Balaam went to Balak, the king of Moab, and every time that he would go to him with the intent to curse the Israelites, as the words would come out of his mouth, they would be blessings. Because he finally says, I cannot curse what God has blessed. But Moses answers that in chapter 31. And it's written for us in a synopsis right here. In Revelation chapter 2, here's what Balaam and the teachings and those that hold to that are. He taught Balaam to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols. That's number one. And they might practice sexual immorality. What Balaam did is he says, I cannot bring a curse against them, but I know them. I've walked with them. I live with them. I'm one of them. And they have been out in the wilderness so long that if you will just entice them, they will follow you. If you'll just put this up in front of them. I have looked and I have seen some of your women. They are so beautiful. If you would just allow them to come and be a part, I promise you they will follow. Jesus said to the folks at Pergamum, you've got folks in your church who hold to that. And here is the warning. Here is the warning. You are allowing that small group, church, to rule and to bring down the witness and to bring down my name. That can not be. I asked you last week, actually two weeks ago, if Jesus were to write a letter to the church at River Bend, what would that letter read like? The letter at Ephesus brought warnings about their love. The letter at Pergamum brings warning to them about actions and people that they have allowed to remain in the body and go unchecked. One commentator put it this way. The church in every error has difficulty in dealing with heresy and immorality. Think about that. that. That's what this is. The church in every area has difficult in dealing with heresy and also that of immorality. A, a portion of the reason for this can uh, even be remotely construed as noble. Often the church does not want to deal with those problems because most people in the church are very aware of their own sinfulness and cite passages such as the instruction of Jesus to take the plank out of our own eye before we attempt to remove the speck from our brother's eye. Who are we to sit in judgment on another? Furthermore, invariably dealing with either heresy or immorality in the church never wins friends. Introducing, as it does, a measure of confrontation, conflict, and uncertainty into the life of the congregation. This may well have been exactly the case there in Pergamum. Therefore, John characterizes the teaching and practices of these people as being that of Balaam. And argues that the church must take action 
if it wishes to be the recipient of the blessings of God. The culture that you and I find ourselves in. The the culture that you and I find ourselves in right now is one of all about me. It's all about me. You turn on any TV, it's all about me. You look at any of the websites on the news and we are all about individual rights coming to the front and it is all about the individual. And maybe the church in this culture is saying, well, let's step back and I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. I don't want to bring about conflict. I don't want to do that. And Jesus warns the church. He warns you And he warns me not to do that. It's not okay for you. It's not okay for me to sit back when you and I see brothers and sisters traveling down the road in sin. It's not okay to just, well, maybe they will figure it out. It's not okay. Church, it's not okay. It's not okay for you to be quiet. It's not okay for you to look the other way or for me to look the other way. It is called upon for you and for me to not have this warning of our Savior to speak up. You say, what will happen if they speak up? Well, if they have a sense and they're not a fool, as Scripture states, that of a fool, then you've won a brother back. If not, at least the blood is not on you and it's not on me. The blood is on them. What's the application? I think the application is a couple of fold. The first is this. He says in verse number uh, 16. You have this group in verses 14 and 15 that are teaching like the, uh, that of Balaam. You have that also that are holding to the t- teachings of the Nicolaitans. Uh, we had that in Ephesus a couple of weeks ago. They did not hold to the works of the Nicolaitans. He praised them for that. Here Pergamum is holding to that. Some of them are and he's bringing that out as a warning. But ultimately he says in verse 16, repent. Repent. What's the first application? The first application for you and me today is that. It is repent. I can't judge your heart. You can't judge my heart. You can't see it. I can't see yours. God sees it. Not only does he see your actions. Not only does he hear your words. He knows your motives and he knows mine. And he says to you and he says to me, come back, repent. What does repent mean? It doesn't mean that, oh, I got caught so I'm sorry. That's not what repent means. Repent means that there is that aspect of sorrow, but that aspect of sorrow leads you back to the Father. It's godly repentance that brings you back to Him so that your actions will change tomorrow, today, right now. If not, there will be consequences, Jesus said. Think about that for a second. Consequences. I don't know 
what it all entails for Jesus to war against his church? That's what he says. He says, if you don't repent, therefore, if you, therefore, repent. If not, if you don't repent, I will come to you soon and war against them. I don't know what that all entails, but I have read the Old Testament once or twice, and every time God waged war against his chosen people, he didn't leave any stone unturned. It was total movement, total movement from them of, of that nation under consequence of another nation for years and generations before they would come back. It's total upheaval. Repent. Hear. Spiritual hearings takes us, takes you, takes me slowing down and it takes him giving the ears. Ask him for them. Ask him to speak. And then follow what he says. I don't know how many times this has happened. Uh, it's happened in a couple of, uh, of occurrences enough to where somebody comes and asks me. The same person comes and asks me for my counsel or my thought of what they should do. And I, I've told them, why am I going to waste my time telling you when you have never done anything that I told you to do? You ever sat down in front of somebody that, that you looked up to, that you respected in this area, and said, hey, I don't know the question. I don't, I don't understand what to do. I want to do what's right. Will you tell me what you think is right? And when they tell you, just don't do anything about it. How ludicrous would that be? Jesus says to them, whoever has an ear, let him hear. My statement of application to you is this. Ask him for those ears, for those spiritual ears, so that when he speaks, you and I could hear that, and you and I would do what he says. The final application there in this passage is this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. The final act of application for you and for me this morning is this. Find satisfaction in him. In Christ, he is the one that's going to give that special manna. He is the one that's going to give that white stone. He is the one that's going to give you that new name. Find your satisfaction in Him. You, you and I find our satisfaction in the whole gamma of this society. He says, church, find your satisfaction in me. And when you do that, I will supply all your needs. I'll give you the food that you need, special manner. I will give you the place that you need. I will give you a new name that only you will know. Because I want the very best for you. He's the one that gives these things. Our deliverance, our nourishment come from and through Him and Him alone. Might you and I rest there. The church at Pergamum had 
a number of things that he was praising them for. The church at Pergamum had a number of things that he was warning them against. I would dare say that that would be the same for you and me. Today, Pergamum is no more. I believe one of the reasons why Pergamum is no more is because they did not obey. If they would have continued to obey generation after generation, there would be that salt and that light. Yet, they didn't. Therefore, he took the lampstand. Therefore, the city is no more. What will that be of River Bend? What will that be of River Bend today? What will that be of River Bend five years from now? What will that be of River Bend many moons from now? You decide today. Will we obey? Or will we not? Heavenly Father, I bow before you. Father, this letter to your church. God, it, on the one hand, Father, it is so many years ago. It's, it's half a world away. 2,000, almost 2,000 years away. Yet, Father, it is so applicable to my life and to our lives as this church that you would come and you would bring praise to things that we are about. But, Father, you would bring warning to this church. You would bring warning to us as individuals of things that we are failing at. Father, would you give us ears to hear? Spiritually, those things that you praise us for, yes, that you are behind us with and saying, continue on, River Bend. But Father, would you also give us ears to hear those warnings and give us a heart, Father, to come back to you. From me, the pastor down, to, to every single one of us, Lord, would you give us a heart to come back to you, to remain focused on you. That we would repent. Ma'am, the invitation this morning is about repentance. Sir, the invitation is about coming back to the Father. Hearing from Him and acting upon what He says. As the band leads and as you stand and sing in just a moment. Would you allow Him to speak into your heart and into your life? And ma'am, would you act? I don't know if that action is there at your seat. I don't know if that action is here at the altar at the front. I don't know if that action is um, talking with me or finding somebody else. Maybe there's a, an issue between you and him, you and her, ma'am. But would you act? This invitation is for you. Would you obey as we stand and as we sing?